Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on the Thought Leader Podcast, we search the world for interesting and fascinating and sometimes remarkably smart guests who are going to challenge the way you think, they're going to inform you of things that you may not have thought about, and they're going to ignite your imagination as we discuss all sorts of topics. All right, without further ado... Hi, Jason. It's great to have you on the show today. Now, our listeners can't actually see you, but you've got this really cool beard and these cool glasses, and on top of your head, you've got this fabulous bowler hat. So i got to understand what this is all about. Um, well, a couple of years back, an agency owner said to my business partner, your face is the brand, and uh, I kind of took that seriously. So... Um, my face is kind of on all of our cards and it's, it's half, half me and then half skull, which is when we showed said marketing agency, our final rendering for the design, they were like, Oh, that's not for everybody, but we really like it. <laughs> so the origin story goes back a bit further though. I had started growing the beard after, after our honeymoon, my wife and I got married and, uh, the bowler, she got me at Christmas, the bowler hat. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I, I don't, you think I can pull this off? I, maybe we were watching a lot of Peaky Blinders at the time. I can't remember what show it was. Um, but one of them had a bowler hat in it and you know, the 1800s London. And, um, you know, I let, I let it sit there for months. And um, finally, when we were thinking of our business name, I just know I wanted it to be something and something like an ampersand, mm -hmm. an and in there, like something strong. I'm like, beard, beard sounds strong, right? Um, what else could it be? Maybe another B. So I'm like, huh, this, this hat that I have. So I brought it to my business partner and I kind of showed up at his office and he has no filter. So he would have just said, yeah, it looks stupid or ridiculous <laughs> if yeah, I showed up. Yeah. But I walked in the door kind of timidly and he looks up at me and he goes, huh, I like it, kind of fits you. And I was like, really? Okay. What do you think about beard and bowler? That sounds cool, right? He's like, I like it. Let's run it by the agency. So uh, we ran it by them and they're like, "Let us, we love it. Let us sleep on it, but we love it. And it was just unanimous. That was like the name because for so long I had been just AJ Video Productions and I knew I wanted something catchy. I knew AJ was catchy and I knew I wanted something catchy even if it had nothing to do with with what we do. People ask us if we're barbers, you know, <laughs> so right. it's something fun to say, something you want to remember and uh, positive, positive branding. But uh, that's the origin. Well, that's really cool. So I, I, I absolutely love Beard and Bowler, but it breaks all the rules. It doesn't say what you do. It doesn't tell anybody why they would want to talk with you. So from a branding point of view, your agency must have been really struggling with that concept. Hmm. They, yes, they were just friends of ours. And uh, it was long relationship building over time that my, my business partner played uh, coach soccer with this guy who also was a dad and um, just in each other's circle. But we knew getting in with an agency because I've done it before. 
uh, would be a way to go for us. So we, they just kind of gave us tips and then we kind of worked with them. That was like our first retainer working with them and all of their clients. And, uh, so they helped us with that. And, uh, when we got our cards and our websites, we thought about that as well. The card doesn't have a video camera on it any anywhere, as mm-hmm. with traditional video guys. Um, but on the back, it'll tell you what we do, commercial filmmakers, et cetera, et cetera. And the website, you come right there and you'll see video. But it's not really like a name that we have to do commercial video makers. Like we didn't want to do that. You know, I did that for 10 years. So not on the nose people have to look it up but they see the card and our cards are metal and they're thick and it makes Mm. you want to go back and check out the website of someone who just invested like two or three dollars in your hand to trust you with this business card so and every time we go to a meeting we see it on top of their desk like on top of the pile not thrown out or anything which was a different story with the paper cards but yeah um yeah so not on the nose makes people think and um we just want our work to speak for itself. But you're far more than a videographer, right? You're a storyteller. Let's talk about that for a minute. How important is story to to what you do? It's everything. You say far more than a videographer, and I don't like when people use that because it cheapens what we do. We call them GWCs or guys with camera. And, uh, oh, nice. Yes. They'll, <laughs> they'll show up. And they'll shoot what you want them to shoot. And they'll do what you tell them to do. We don't do that. We have a discovery call. We talk about what your goals are and then re-engineer something backwards that's going to hit your goals and fit your needs. And we will tell you what you should do. And 90% of the time that comes down to storytelling. And uh, my business partner is really the story architect who, who, who kind of broke down. We do talks on this all the time, the seven elements of story and what makes a good story. We now use that in almost all of our pieces. And we have a sheet that we fill out. Who's a character? Who's a guide? What's the problem? What's the solution? And it's the same formula that every major Hollywood movie, successful Hollywood right. movie follows. And um, especially the Marvel ones, they do it so well. But um, it's, it's everything. And in a day where we're hit with so much marketing, 3,000 pieces a day upwards of between the Starbucks logo on your cup to the cars that pass you by the billboards, stuff you don't even notice because it's white noise, what are you going to do to stand out? And you're going to tell somebody a story that hits the heart, helps them self-identify and self-select with that character that you're portraying. And have them say, I can see myself in him. I can see myself in her. And once you you have that self-selection, that self-identifying, you have them hooked. All right, they have the same problems that I have. How am I going to resolve this? How do they resolve it? And then we find out who their guide is, which is usually, in our case, in nonprofits are usually the guide. Or when we do work with the few select commercial clients that we work with, it's the brand that is the guide that helps the character see the light, the character who your audience is already self-selected and self-identified right. with. So that's how important story is. And that's where we try and bring it back to every time. And uh, I mean, I used to be the true artist. I used to be like, I'm a Canon guy, Canon cameras. This is all I use, this brand, this, that, or this. Or and we switched when I went to this company and I realized like that stuff is just a tool to get to where we need to be, which is that good story. 
and it doesn't matter what cameras we use. So now we use freelancers with all different sorts of gear, depending on the budget, from cinema cameras down to I've used iPhones before. It's really what matters is that story. And uh, it's just a tool. If you don't know how to use it, camera's not going to do you any good. Very cool. So now you've got me really interested because you, you talk about nonprofits being predominantly where you work. Um, you do have some commercial clients. What is your story that brought you to wanting to work with nonprofits? I had been a video guy, videographer for 10 years since 07. I launched with what was then a luxury item, video, just in time for the 08 recession. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun, fun couple of years to navigate, right? Back then, it was like when websites first came out and you had all these landscapers and all these handymen who are, I don't need a website, blah, blah, blah. And now if you don't have a website, you don't exist. That's where video was. Like, I don't need a video. What do I need a video for, right? Now it's almost getting to the point if you don't have video, eight of your other competitors do that reveal that mystery of who I'm dealing business with, right? So it's almost getting to that point now. If you don't have video, you don't exist. So I was doing that since 2007, uh, hit the recession, tried to struggle on for a few years, leaned on my wife a little bit, probably a little bit too much, but uh, we, we were getting married and I needed something a bit more stable. So I took on a day job with the news. In the news, 24 hour news station, I was all around New Jersey, the worst parts of New Jersey, the best parts of New Jersey, mainly the worst parts of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the 4 a.m. shift and every winter it was every, it was a fire, you know, and every summer it was a carjacking, crime, uh, accident. So it's like fire, shooting, stabbings, murders, fire, shooting, stab like over and over again mm -hmm. to the point where you got numb. And I think my turning point was when my reporter kind of nudged me at an 11 year old's funeral and said, hey, get the mother. And I'm like, what do you mean? Get the mother It's like go over there and try and get a soundbite from the mother, go interview the mom at, at the funeral. And, um, as I'm sitting there interviewing this, this weeping mom, I just kind of, you know, thought is, what am I doing here? How is this helping? Like, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to justify it though. Like maybe there's somebody that'll see this and they'll listen and they'll learn and it won't happen again. And I'd be back there the next month, the next week, the next day, sometimes, for, and, you know, you'd see the memorials, the T-shirts with everybody signing them. Um, and depending on what culture and area of town, like it's a different type of memorial, the cards mm -hmm. hanging on the fence. So it was just, it wasn't working and felt, it, it, in fact, it felt like I was hurting more than doing good. So I started talking to a friend of mine, I called him my guru. And I said, what can I, what can I do? He said, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I still believe video is the future still believe that's the biggest means to get a positive message out there. Okay, what kind of stories, what kind of video? And I said, you know, when I was working with the news, there was a guy by the name of Willie who was an urban farmer. And he had a community gar garden he started just on an abandoned lot. And uh, if you couldn't afford to cultivate this from the ground up, mind you, but if you couldn't afford to uh, donate when he held his farmer's market every other weekend, he'd say, here, take a bag of vegetables, bag of fruit, just take it. That guy is the guy that I would tell the story of every day, if I could. Not really any kind of amb ambitions to make a whole bunch of money, but just like there to help his community. If I could tell that story every day, I would. And he's like, you know what? 
if I could tell that story every day too, I would <laughs> as well. Ooh, yeah. Problem is there's, there's no money in that. So we just started doing it anyway. And, um, we found a couple nonprofits who were, were aligned with, with missions that we, uh, believed in helping youth homelessness, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we told their story and we did it in a way that had his story expertise and my 10 years of just knowing video. And the combination was just kind of incredible when it happened, his story and my, my video skills, my ability to tell story visually. And, um, that kind of led us down this realm of like, wow, these nonprofits are going to have some of the best stories, like people way down here, just at the bottom of life and the nonprofit, like it's the clearest cut example of a Mm -hmm. guide in most cases, helping them get to rise above. I have a job now. I have a car. I finished my GED. I graduated college. Like it's such rich, inspiring success stories. Um, so yeah, that's how we got into nonprofits. That's, that's really cool story. So I want to go take you back a little even further now. We've just met, so I don't know your background, but I'm going to imagine, or I do imagine that back in school, at some point you developed an interest in film and that story actually totally would interest me. Yeah, it started in high school, I think. Probably one of my youth group leaders at church who Mm -hmm. was an editor for Access Hollywood. And I'm like, really? That's a thing? (laughs) You can do that? And um, I just picked up that my basketball coach had me tape the basketball games and that was they didn't have a tripod even so it was just like you're supposed to follow as wide as you can from left to right and i remember getting yelled at because he's like what are you doing all these zooms for this isn't the nba i just need to see what the play looks like (laughs) you know they're like trying to zoom in and out and who's got the ball (laughs) you're you're filming something that somebody wants to watch he wants to just see what's happening so he can train them yeah exactly and then I remember taking a video camera on the senior trip and, you know, everyone needed a major. That's that's what you you needed. So I did communications broadcasting, not even realizing that would probably be in television or film or understanding what kind of. And I went to university, William Patterson University, and I just kind of floated around there for probably two and a half years. And it wasn't until I decided that I'm done here. I'm not really learning anything that I decided to go to community college where community college may not be as high esteemed. Like I got hands on the cameras within the first week. And mm. um, I was just, you know, in love with that. Even in the broadcast room, it wasn't my area of expertise and editing on a digital platform was so new back then that the teacher, the, they had a brand new iMac lab, but even the teacher didn't know what to do. Like his whole job was bouncing around to computers and, and to set up. And I opened up the program Final Cut Pro 5 or 6, and I immediately got a headache and dropped the class and said, this is not for me. There's like 3,800 buttons and keyboard shortcuts. I can't completely overwhelm. The teacher is completely overwhelmed. Um, I think I came back next semester and took the class again with somebody who had zero experience with editing. I think he came from Google, so they're like, oh, you're good with computers. And they dropped him in this class. And uh, they were like, what, what, um, my wife came, my girlfriend at the time's like, where's your teacher at? And uh, I'm like, oh, he's right, he's right up there in the front row. 
and he's like, she's like, you mean the, the guy turning around asking you all the questions on the keyboard shortcuts? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the guy. I had gotten, I, I had gotten ready for the class this time. I invested in a camera. I had a computer. I taped my niece's birthday and edited that thing that like you wouldn't believe. And, um, I came in super prepared after having been in three projects, just doing, um, I knew more than the teacher and was teaching the rest of the students around me. And I kind of got to thinking like, I really just need to do. So I dropped out of community college and I just started doing, I just started filming. I started, uh, creating a business and, uh, years later I had fell in love with the business aspect of it as well. Um, to where I don't shoot now as much. I usually hire crews and manage and uh, do post-production and the finishing touches on post-production. But that's kind of the journey of how I got into it and, you know, through school and then leaving school and I'm going to do this on my own sort of thing. And then I need help, a business partner and a series of bad partners to finding the one who's a good fit about 12, 13 years later. So it's been a journey. It always is a journey, and it's always fascinating to to understand what somebody else's journey is. So we like to keep these short, quick, deep, um, find out what makes people tick. One last question before we wrap it up. If you think back to when you were seven or eight years of age, maybe 10, what did your family think you would have become? Did they, did they think that you were... Sh- did they have any any inkling that you'll be running a business in film, in storytelling, in working with nonprofits? Was there was there that element of you back then? <laughs> no, because I didn't know, and I think that was a big part of the struggle and one of the reasons that we're attracted to nonprofits that deal with with kids in 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 particular and mentoring kids, because I knew I was an artist, but I had no idea how to express myself. I wasn't a great orator. I couldn't communicate with words. And um, so that led down a lot of dark paths of not really knowing how to express myself and just having it kind of bottled up. And I think that's a big problem with kids too. Like if they don't realize that they're an artist or they don't know how to express themselves, whether it's through paint, drawing, film or whatever, it leads them into areas of anger, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's where, where I was. But I don't remember my mom really pushing me into any field in particular. I do remember my principal at the time saying, you'd be a good teacher. You're going to be a teacher, Jason. <laughs> and I was like, no way, no way. And I, I ended up teaching at the same school for a few years, uh, video post-production. But um, and I was like, I am a pretty good teacher. But there's, I guess I didn't realize how much teaching was involved in running a small business and mentoring. And, and whenever we show up on set, it happened twice, just Wednesday, two days ago, people are like, hey, my, you have a very impressive setup here. My niece, my daughter, and I know that what's coming next is like, they're really into film. Can I send you their resume? They'll work for you for free and like really pitching them. <laughs> it happens. It happens a lot. So you do end up teaching a lot and I don't mind. I don't mind investing in people mm-hmm. as long as I know they're going to hear it and use it and uh, maybe even stick around. I don't mind investing in people. So that's a trait that has come in handy. But um, yeah, early life, no real 
nobody really said you're going to be this or you should be this. And I'm sure there are suggestions, but the only one that sticks in my mind was the pr- principal telling me I'm going to be, be a teacher because I rebelled against that so hard. <laughs> I was like, no well, there's, there's, there's many ways that you are, in fact, a teacher. I mean, storytelling is, is teaching, not traditional teaching, though. So the, that principal saw something in you that he didn't actually, couldn't actually put his finger on what it was, but he saw it. So... That was awesome. And I love your what you said about investing in people. There is nothing more valuable to invest in than people, in my opinion. So I think that's a great spot for us to end the interview. One more thing. How can people connect with you and who would you like to connect with you? For sure. Anybody can connect with me and you know follow along for the journey. Uh, can't promise that I'll follow along with everyone's journey, but um, we're at Beard and Bowler on most social channels and Jason Ellinger on LinkedIn is my primary where I'm most active uh, or will be most active in the coming months. But um, yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty much it. Our target is foundations. Let's say progressive foundations who, who want to invest in nonprofits that they support as opposed to giving them the same amount of recurring money every year and having them become dependent on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, because creating a story for a nonprofit helps them become independent, raise more money at fundraisers, galas, whether virtual or in person. And then uh, it also helps them build strategic partnerships too. So foundations, CSR directors, that's corporate social responsibility. Those are the two, two primary people that we look to connect with because they can help nonprofits the most. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah. Really enjoyed this and let's, get together again soon for sure and if there's anybody i can keep an eye out for you let me know now to all our listeners um you really do have to go and look at jason's website beardandbowler.com it's one of the coolest websites i've seen in a while so uh those those pictures of jason and his partner i think that's matt if i'm correct yeah yeah are worth having a look at and you can only imagine what a, a a metal business card would look like with that on it it's going to be awesome cool thanks man yeah thanks again absolutely glad to be here this has been such a wonderful conversation today it was surprising it was intriguing it was interesting and this is just an example of the types of guests that we have on the thought leader podcast and we would love you to subscribe so you get to hear the next issue or you can visit our, our website. Our website is thoughtpartnergroup.com. And at the top, you'll see a little button that says, take the assessment. In one minute, you can take the assessment and get a response from us. We'll read everyone. All right. Take care. Have a good life. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.